About a week ago, a few of us gathered for an informal conversation with artist and activist Jack Malott at the site of his retrospective at the Nevada Museum of Art. Local painter Austin Pratt, student and activist Sarah Jerkling, and musician Jake Painter got to ask Jack about themes and threads in his work that resonated with each of them. Austin honed in on his process, influences, and practice. Sarah checked in on his graphic posters and his environmental activism. And Jake got to ask questions about family, community, and being a Native artist. Here's the discussion as it unfolded around the table for KWNK 97.7 FM. Jack Mallott's work will be on display until October 20th, so you have about a week left to go check out his work at the Nevada Museum of Art. Big shout out to the Holland Project and the Nevada Museum of Art for making this conversation possible. Without further ado, here's their discussion with Jack Mallott, with Jake asking the first question about when Jack knew he was an artist. Well, I've always done it, but I didn't really show it or anything. I've always done it all my life, I remember. Got into high school and I just, before I was, I wanted to be a draftsman, so I worked a lot with T-squares and triangles and doing that kind of stuff. And then when I got into the art part, I took all those things with me, so um, that kind of started me out on how my work looks now. Um, my last art teacher, Miss Kistler, her and my mom got together with the uh, school counselor and got me into art school in Oakland. Because at that time, I was really young, 16, I didn't... Um, so they got me into that thing, and I wasn't really ready for college because I didn't really want to. I was so young, I just wasn't something I wanted to do. But it, I ended up doing it and putting out work. And <laughs> hey, Jack, this is Austin Pratt. How much of it was a surprise moving from Reno to Oakland or going to art school for college? Um, thinking about politically even like living in Oakland in the early 70s as a young activist or, you know, even in a, in a, in a politically active Bay Area or even well, listening to music. Like what was it? What was the spirit of, of the Bay Area in the early 70s? Well, when I got to art school, I was 17. Um, ended up living by myself in Oakland. And it was a cold because I thought I was hot stuff moving from Reno to there, and I thought I knew my stuff. But when I got there, I found out I was just a little fish in a big pond, and the artists that were there at that school were just so amazing. I don't even know why they were in school. They knew it all already. Um, but the whole Bay Area stuff, it was I wasn't really an activist at that time. I was just too young and, and wasn't involved in all that. Um, I was just trying to get through school and trying to, um, just trying to find a technique, I guess, or, and find, find my way through, because um, I didn't know really where I was heading. I first, I started out graphic design, illustration. Then I didn't really like that, so I got into the fine arts part. And at that time, the, the art school, it was really just like anything goes. You know, it was just, anything goes, you know. Like at that time, there were people streaking, getting naked and running around. They do that in the art school and nobody paid attention to that. They just look and people just keep going because the art school was just so loose. And everybody just did their own thing. Um, 
but the activism stuff, there was only a few Indians that went to that school, maybe about four, I think. Um, and then towards my, my senior year, my last year there, is when I started meeting activist people and being part of um, the Oakland community, the Indian community there. Um, my friend went to Stanford and I would go do things with him. He worked with a community in Oakland with the kids. And I started working with them, doing stuff with the kids. Um, and that kind of got me involved in other people who are doing that and the activist part. And I started meeting those people. Um, and then I, I, I was in art school for four years. Um, but I was just so young, I just didn't know what the opportunity I had. And so I screwed up my first year. <laughs> I really did. I screwed it up mainly. Uh, I was just too young. I just didn't understand what I, what I, where I was, what I was doing, why I was there. And I just didn't understand it. I was just kind of like hanging in there. And What kind of artists were you um, looking at at the time or what sort of things end up oh. popping up or what, what things? Did well, man, one of my main ones is I really liked um, a guy, he's a Sioux artist named Oscar Howe, H-O-W-E, and he was just, his stuff was just, it was abstract, but it wasn't, and it was just, and he did political work, too, as well as other things, but he was really good. I really liked what he did and how he approached his subjects and and the um, his technique. I just I really liked that, and I, when I was in high school, I used to copy his work and just try and get it as close as I could, and I did that with a lot of other artists that, like Walt Disney, um, I liked his, and I copied his. The line work is what I really liked. And there was uh, old-time illustrators I liked, like um, um, Maxwell Parrish. I really like his work. It's all graphic, and it's and he, he had a message, too, and he puts it out, and he did it in a cool way. And he was an illustrator. I like a lot of illustrators from that early 20s, 30s, 40s. Yeah, I've heard you talk about, like, Aubrey Beardsley and stuff before. Yeah, I really liked. Yeah, it's amazing. And I think that there, I mean, look, sitting here in the gallery and looking at your work, I think that there is, like, I'm, I'm curious about the relationship between um, graphic uh, graphic work and commercial work and like where that line falls for you, you know, like where, cause like many things are graphic, but like, you know, something like Parrish or Beardsley, like they, they come, they come from a different, or they go in a different direction, you know? Um, and I feel like your work sort of straddles that in a lot of ways. Like it goes, um, to be more like, um, you know, I think maybe like in the more activist realm or the sort of even the propaganda language or something like that, a graphic language, but also back and forth between like more painterly or printmaking languages. I don't know how you, how you, how do you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, when I first got involved doing the graphics, well, after I got out of college, um, I didn't get into any of the graphic stuff. I kind of uh, got away from all the activism stuff because I moved to Arizona and I started working for service and I kind of quit. I was still drawing, but not as much. And I was still producing. Um, but I got away from the, the graphic stuff and I just started doing um, just drawings, um, some airbrush work. Um, and then when I got back to Reno, I, my first job was with the Reno Gazette Journal. 
and I must have been 24, five, somewhere around there. And I got, because I knew about printing from college. So when I got that job, I had a basic knowledge of how printing works. <laughs> and my drawing just happened because I like black and white. My drawing came in real handy with that kind of printing, black and white newspaper printing. And so that was my first job. And I started doing the graphic stuff, doing paste up and layout and all that. And I got, and I only worked there a couple of months, six months, I think. And then my boss liked what I was doing. And so he had another side job and it got so big he couldn't handle it anymore. So he recommended me, and so I quit the newspaper and moved to this other one. And that job was more of everything. I, I got, they trained me to do everything. Like, I know how to put together magazines, newspapers. I did everything except take photographs. I sized the photographs. I um, spec the type. I put it all together, even put the numbers on the pages and, and paginate it all together and take it to the printer, stand there by the printer and watch everything come off and be my okay. And I had to do it. And I was young. I was like 25. And I and so I worked there for three years off and on because of the, it's a burnout situation, you know, because I had deadlines, two deadlines, separate ones every week, plus one every Two weeks, I put out two magazines, plus I was a one-man operation pretty much. <laughs> but it was so good for me because I learned a lot. I learned how to make cuts, shortcuts. I learned how to work fast. I learned all that kind of stuff. So when I quit them and I started freelancing and still doing the graphics work, um, advertising, brochures, that kind of stuff, T-shirt designs. And I wasn't doing the actual printing then. I was just doing it for other printers and um, it just kind of happened slowly. And then um, during that time when I was working for the newspaper or the um, magazine company when I was a graphics director, at, this, at that time I had access to all the equipment. I was able to use it. I, you know, it was, it was, I was the only one that used it, you know. So, and my boss let me use it as long as I got my work done. So I was able to do side jobs. And that's when I got involved with the Shoshone issues because I, they came to me and they asked, well, my aunt worked for the Shoshone land rise people. She came to me and asked me to do a headline, or not a headline, a, a banner for the newspaper. So I did that and that kind of got me going. And then next thing I knew, I was doing posters and other things for them. And then when I quit that job and I moved over to... I, seventh generation fund and I was still doing the same thing graphics and still doing illustrating for whatever they wanted um, and by then I was full blown I knew all about printing I knew you know I was just primed you know it was just it was just second nature to me by then I was still doing the fine art stuff at the same time things I liked myself and so I did that for I don't know how many years but that part is where a lot of these things came from, seventh generation. And those guys were really like the top dogs of the Indian people. They were like lawyers and, and judges and professors. and They're all Indian people from all around the country in Canada. And they were all top people. I mean, I got to hang out with them and, and listen to them and, and picked up a lot. I mean, just 
just their views on things, different tribes. You know, when I was growing up here in Reno, I used to think there was no other Indians except here in Nevada. I didn't know there were Indians out past Mississippi or anywhere past that. I didn't know that. And um, so when I got started meeting those people and starting seeing how much their culture and how, how tight they are and how, what they go through, it really, um, it kind of opened me up to a lot of things. And at that time, I was able to travel with some of those people and go to their different reservations and see what they're doing, meeting other people, doing things in their community, grassroots organizations, because that's what Seventh Generation worked with was grassroots people. You know, somebody would think of a project and they'd have to think of some way of funding it. So they go to Seventh Generation and Seventh Generation did all the writing proposals, chasing money down, because that's a full-time thing. And so I got to meet those people from all around the country. And so that's, and it was all just a gradual thing. It's just a learning experience. And, but I did the two things together, graphics one side and, and then my fine art stuff, the things I enjoy on the other side. What are some of the changes that you've seen in Native American culture on the reservations since you were younger? Um, I've lived on a different reservations. I lived here and I grew up here in Reno. I lived in Nixon, Pyramid Lake. I lived in South Fork. I lived in um, Susanville. I've lived um, just different places. Um, as far as the culture stuff, at one point, because a lot of the Indians went to Stewart, it was discouraged to even talk language. Um, my mom, my grandma, all those, uh, all my uncles all went to school there, and it was always discouraged um, to do anything that involved being an Indian. You know, the uh, Indian school started, the guy who started it all, it was like a whole, the campaign was kill the Indian, save the man. That was their campaign slogan during that time. And so a lot of the things have been lost, and now, those same people that went to Stewart, they remember things, and so they're bringing it back, what they remember, plus what their old people have told them. So a lot of the things are coming back now, and we've got our younger generations who's more interested in that, because they didn't go to these schools. You know, I didn't go to that school. I went to Wooster. I went to a public school here in Reno. So I wasn't part of that whole the government, you know, kill the Indian, save the man thing. I wasn't part of it. Did you see sort of like a boom in Native culture uh, after Stuart closed, or did you see sort of trickle back into just... I think it's trickled back in. It's just more and more, because we're fighting the same kind of people, our own people on some things, because they grew up in Stuart, and they don't see things that are Indian as being... They're ashamed of it. I'd rather be a Mexican than Indian. That's what I've heard people say. And it just, it's, it's, a, it's a mixed up thing. <laughs> well, Stuart was open from 1890 to 1980. So, I mean, that's fairly recent as far as just accepting different cultures. And I've heard absolute horror stories of the things that have gone down there to suppress Native American culture. What are some ways that you think we can improve today uh, passing along traditional uh, 
ceremonies and just being in touch with uh, our cultural heritage. Well, something like this, doing this this show, and the people that other Indian artists who's, who've been doing it, you know, just as long as me, except I'm the one that got into the printing part, so I got more at you know, more, I don't know what you'd call it, more recognition or whatever because of the printing. That got my work out everywhere, plus doing T-shirts and got my work. So just the printing alone made me more visible. So I'm more, sometimes it's like I'm, I'm the one that has to push through first. So <laughs> Because of the visual, I mean, I'm, so it's a hard one to think of. <laughs> but this is a good start doing this and getting out to the to the to the outside more than just us together all us indians doing things together we've kind of like including more people um to come and be part of it all um but yeah i think this is a good start on that kind of stuff but yeah i just kind of like been the one to be the front because of all the my printing work and probably a lot of people know me because of that was there more motivation to continue what you're doing because of uh, youth outreach throughout your career? Oh, yeah. A lot of people, I encourage people, but I've, you know, like, and ask me about if there's any other artists that I've mentored, but I've never really stayed in a community long enough to know and to be part of seeing people grow up, you know, and being part of their whole life. I've been one of those guys that come in, I stay three or four years, and I moved on to another place, but I still know those kids. I'm still friends with them, you know. Um, like when I taught at Pyramid Lake, that was 30 years ago almost. And I, I still know a lot of those guys, and some of them are still doing artwork. A couple of them are still doing it full time. I got a friend, Ralph Shoshone, or James Shoshone now, um, up in Oahe. And I've known him since he was a little kid from Washoe. Um, but he's doing his work. He like he does a lot of line work, a lot of what I do. He gives me credit for inspiring him, so that's a good thing. And I always give people credit too. <laughs> so, but he's good. He's one of the main ones that um, kind of like I've known since he was a kid. But a lot of these other guys, I just know them. I see what they're doing, but I've never really stuck around in the community long enough to to be a whole, really a part of their lives. But they see my work, so they know who I am, they see my work, and when I see theirs, I talk them, you know. I never discourage people, I don't, I never do I'm that. Glad, glad. I don't care how bad it looks, I'll say something good about it. Because I seen stuff in art school that I just couldn't understand. Why you're in art school, why are you here? You know, it's just so, but then when I saw their artwork and I saw what their, there was a woman there, an old lady, and she did this artwork, and I didn't think it was good at all. I thought it was terrible. But then when I saw what she was doing with it, she was doing kids' books, and it just fit just right. I mean, it was just perfect. And it just, so ever since then, I realized, like, no matter what, there's a potential for people to do something with it. I don't care how bad it is or how good it is. It's just that she found her niche and she just, and it perfect. I mean, it, I was just so surprised. 
I mean, Oakland really opened me up to a lot of stuff. Oh, cool. A lot of stuff. I just was so naive, so close-minded. I was really close-minded when I left here. I had my own thing, my own vision, the way art's supposed to look. And it was, but when I got over there, it was just like, wow, you know, just... <laughs> It just opened me up. Going to museums in San Francisco and Oakland and Berkeley. I hung out in Berkeley a lot because I liked their museum. And I did a lot of that kind of stuff and saw a lot of cool artwork, a lot of stuff that just opened me up. Just just opened me up. I didn't realize there was so much stuff out there and it was so good, you know. I was just used to illustrators, you know. That's the kind of people I liked. But it opened me up. And it's just a different thing now. <laughs> with me especially I I appreciate all that stuff no matter what even if I don't understand it I'll try a little bit you know and it helps if you know the artist too that, that's the main part too then you understand more what's going on you know? <laughs> so much of your art is very clearly informed by the environment that you were in when you created it um, and you mentioned that you know in your recent spout of kind of traveling to different areas of the world and learning about the issues that were affecting those specific areas. I'm wondering, um, was there a difference in the way that you approached the process of creating art that was intended to have kind of a, mesh, a message or inform the viewer on an issue compared to the process that you would take when you were creating it just to create? Or do you view those as not really being different things? Well, the political stuff, the statement-oriented, that's what I call it sometimes, but that, I have a thought in my head, and like the one I did here of, um, of the Lake Tahoe stuff. See, I didn't know much about the players. I knew some of the history, but I had to be, learn. I had to get into the, I had to read and, and then figure out, um, what it was all about. And when I did that, I wasn't involved in any of that, the, the things that were going on. So I never, it was hard for me to do that one. Um, but others, you know, I was involved, like some of these over here, they were things in my head, been rolling around my head for years. And then just, I just did, well, I better put it down while I feel this way, while I have these things in my head. Um, so I would put them down, and some of them just drew themselves. I didn't even have to. They were just in my head. All I had to do was put them down. And then others, I had to struggle. I had to had to read. I had to think about it. I had to roll it around in my mind and then come up with something visual. With the fine art stuff, I just start painting. I just start putting paint down, and then something comes from it, you know. So it's a different situation. But the things I have to think about first, I think about them for years sometimes. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, I mean, it, it and is. finally, you know, and I get it. Some things, it makes me sick feeling. So when I do some of these things, it's like purging myself. So after I do that, I feel better. You know, it's out, it's gone, it's out of my head, it's out like a lot of these things I thought about and it's gone. So I'm on, I'm, you know, I'm, and so I'll go on to something else and think of something else to complain about, I guess. <laughs> and that's my way of complaining is doing the artwork. 
I think that's healthy. I mean, uh, narrative work, the ability to kind of put a story out there and to take control of the story is such an important tool that we have in order to deal with any sort of crises, really. And it's incredible to hear your personal process of kind of taking the things that were rolling around in your head and putting them out there and, you know, using it as kind of a healing process for yourself, it sounds like. Uh, I'm wondering, once you were able to put those things out on paper, um, from your perspective, what is the impact that they had once they were out there for other people to use or to see? Well, a lot of people have some. A lot of people have told me that I never really thought about it like that, you know, or I never. I see those things, but I never really thought about it. So when I do that kind of stuff and I put it out there, sometimes I do stuff and I think, oh man, did I go too far? You know, but then I think, nah, you know, just keep going. What are they going to do to me? You know, they can talk bad about me all they want, but, you know, it's, it, I put out that stuff. But that's one of the main things I've heard from people is that I didn't really see it that way. I didn't really notice it. I didn't. Now that it's out there, I see what you're talking about, um, understand it more, or they want to know more and they go into the, um, the, uh, they learn more on their own sort of thing. That's why I like Seventh Generation, because they gave, they allowed me to do, uh, put out my own opinions, because they almost had the same thing I thought, you know. That's, so, but it hasn't been too, <laughs> too bad. <laughs> on that note, um, a lot of people are not aware of the history of nuclear testing in the state of Nevada. Um, the work that you were able to do for that campaign is so powerful. You can just really see the emotion and the message come through on the paper. I'm wondering, um, what was it like at that time for a community, for the Western Shoshone, to kind of grapple with the reality of the fact that um, basic consent and basic public health needs were not met by the United States government. What is it like to kind of grapple with that? Oh, gee. I think it's just something I just kind of like to live with, you know, just... Um, but during that time when the nuclear stuff was going on and they are putting, talking about MX missiles and and where Duckwater is now, they're planning on putting missiles all around through there, and Yamba across the Nevada. And they, people, I don't know, didn't understand how many missiles. They thought maybe there'd just be a few, but they're talking about 10 in one little area, and each missile has 10 warheads on it. And so you're talking like hundreds. And a lot of people didn't, because they don't live out there, you know, people in Elko, they're so far away, they didn't know the stuff that was going on in Central. Um, but it was just a, and I did a drawing for it, and a lot of people realized that there's that many missiles? I said, yeah, you know, that's, they're not just going to put a two or three out there, they're talking hundreds. And... Uh, so I drew a drawing of missiles leaving Nevada and then missiles coming into Nevada. And so, you know, there's these one coming in, one going out, and it all was going to end up in the same spot. We're all just going to be centered, you know. So I did, and it kind of woke people up as far as thinking, that's a lot. That's a lot. 
And what they're going to do out there is just going to put a big old target on everybody in Nevada. And, and it, so it got me started. That was one of the things that got me started, that MX stuff. And it just was a... And the health issue stuff, my wife was working on a... Um, she was part of this organization she started about health issues in native um, place, especially Yamba and Duckwater during the testing and all that, some of the fallout headed north. And so she got involved and started trying to document people's health, where they ate, what they did. Because in those times, a lot of the Indian people out there didn't, they ate what was there, you know, so um, at that time. So it was a my wife's really involved in that. She was at, at that time. And, but it's just something kind of like we have to live with, you know. It's this overwhelming force coming over you, and you just can't. It's just hard to push back. But I push back in my own way anyways. That's, the government paid for my education, so I'm using it against them. Thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> What is your what is your studio like now in in Duckwater? Um, gee, when I first moved to Duckwater, I lived in a I I didn't live in it, but my studio was probably just a bedroom, ten by ten by ten sort of, and I didn't have much silk screening. I had the equipment, but I just did a lot of drawing, a lot of painting because that's the only area I can do things in is small. And if I did anything new, I had to clean everything off. And in that room, I had a table a little bit bigger than this and my flat files. And then the rest just was like stacked up and I had um, drafting tables and things, but I had them stored in the, away and I had all these other equipment things I've had and I never got to use it. So when I got my trailer now, it's 40 foot long by 15 wide and I'm able to bring all that stuff that I had in storage and, and table space. It opened, I've been able to do silk screening and not have to clean up right away. And so I'm able to just keep doing things constantly. Keep momentum. Yeah, and it, so now I got the room, but I still wish I had more table space. You know, that's still not enough table space for, I, you know, I thought I'd be in heaven and I am. But still, I always think about, oh, I can use another two, three tables just to lay things out. And my painting in one area and silkscreen in another area and my light table and all these other things. And, and then plus my storage, I have all these paintings and stretcher bars and things. I've, and plus my books and tools, you know, <laughs> all these things. Yeah. <laughs> so now, but it gives me the the... All that room, all the quiet, all that, there's no distractions unless I go looking for it. I was going to ask you about that. Like, so what, what is your practice like then in, in like, in, in my day? What's your day like? Yeah. Like what happens? You get up in the morning. Do you work at night? Well, do you I, need, I'm a morning person. You, yeah. I am. Um, What's it like to be out there in a place so quiet? <laughs> well, when I first got do out there, stimulus, it was unnerving. It was, <laughs> <laughs> because I, would, I was used to living in Nixon. I was able to come to Reno, get whatever I want, drive back all in one day, and then still be able to do stuff. But in Duckwire, you can't do that because there's no art stores nearby, 
Reno's the nearest one or Vegas or Salt Lake. And so I, I you know, I just, it, it restricts me on some things. But the quietness doesn't bother me. At first it did, but now it doesn't. Um, having diversions, like if I had an artist block, I was able to come to Reno and look through galleries, walk around, do it, you know, and and get some, or just go in the art store and walking up and down the aisles and picking something out I've never seen before or trying this pen or, you know, and then I'll, you know, buy paper and then go try it out. But now when I'm out there, I um, I have a lot of things, the stuff I've collected and, I've had color pencils that are like 40 years old, and I just collect them. I keep buying them. Prismacolors, you know, they're getting more expensive. They used to be like 80 cents. Uh, like two bucks now. <laughs> yeah, now they're... But I have about $2,000 worth of stuff, you know, I've been buying over the years, and I hardly used it. And then one day I just picked them up and started drawing. Or oil pastels, another one. I just, I had a bunch of them. I just, okay, well, let me try this. And I'd go to the... Um, our store buy colored paper and just start doing it. Um, that was always been the way I've learned is just to start like oil painting. When I first tried to do oil painting, I spent like two weeks nonstop every day, early in the morning. I just was just playing with it, seeing how many colors I can get, how it feels with the fan brush and how it works, you know, with different brushes, sable or bristle or you know, I was just playing and, and doing all these color things and figuring out how it works. And I didn't really like oil because you have to be patient. <laughs> and I want things to dry. You know, I want to be able to dry, go over it again. But with oil, I can't do that. You have to think ahead and it's a little bit different. But I just did it nonstop. I mean, I was just at it. I, I did about maybe four canvases. I just was just painting on it. Um, and then one day I decided, well, I just didn't really like that. <laughs> so I just quit. I still got all those oil stuff, all the painting, all the brushes, all that stuff. I still got it, and uh, but it's just something I tried, and I might go back and do it again some hey, other should. time. <laughs> when I feel more confident, yeah. when I feel more... And it's been over 30 years since I've done oil. What happens when you get into the studio in the morning? Like, what are you thinking about? What are you looking at? Like, how do you, how do you start something? Or do you pick up where you left off? Or? In the morning, I'll probably get into the studio around 9 or 10. I'll walk in there after I drink a bunch of coffee. I don't like to eat breakfast too much because it makes me sluggish. Um, but when I'm in there, I like my studio cold because it makes me feel more alert. If it's hot, I don't. F I feel sluggish. I, my mind is sluggish. I don't feel good. So I like it when it's cold. And when I go in there, I already have stuff laid out, uh, like my flat files right next to the tables, and I'm just putting things out. And I have so many prints uh, that a lot of them aren't even finished. I just printed a few things and then put it away. So now when I go in there now, I'll take a stack about three or four inches and lay them all out and go through each one because my silk screens aren't all the same each each screen each um, print is different because I don't register I just put it in there and move things around wherever I think it would look good 
And so I have a lot of these kind of half-finished things. They're like a lot of just raw material that you can just kind of yeah. pick and through. Yeah, so I go through them, and I'll pull out 20 or 30 of That's them. That's great. And then I'll, I'll, I'll drop maybe 10 of those. I'll take 10 of those, and I'll have an image in my head because I have about over 100 screens, and each screen has two images on them. So I have all these different things, and some of them are just background stuff. Some of them are actual uh, things, uh, like a feather or hands, you know, st- those are actual things. But a lot of it is just background stuff. I like to put background first and then put other things on top. So I have a lot of that, and so I'll go back in and look through my, and I'll see something, hey, this will look good over those. And so I'll pull that out and figure out a color or whatever, and I'll print on those. Um, and then if I got a bunch of paper with nothing on them, I just, which I'm going to do today is go over to the art store and get more paper. Um, I'll just start printing backgrounds. I'll just pick one out that I have, you know, like some of these are just the back. They're just abstract things. And I'll either I'll feel energetic and do a blend or uh, just whatever. And then I'll print maybe 20 of those papers just a background, and then I'll take half of those and I'll print something different on them, and I'll print them in different areas, and then I'll take half of those, and I'm down to five or six by then, and I'll finish those with something else, and then I'll put those away in a, in a pile where I've signed it all and put them away. And then you've got a whole other of those 30 other things that are for 20 yeah. years from now to work on or something? Yeah, I've had paintings. <laughs> I've had paintings. For years, yeah. I've hauled around. I think that's you know? great. Now I know how what's his name felt dragging Mona Lisa around all those years, <laughs> you know, because he did the same thing. And I was, and I realize now, I still have stuff I work on. I'll, if I have a, if I'm doing a painting, I'll do three or four things at once because I'll mix up paint and I can't use it all on one. So I'll just switch it off. And while one's drying, I'll do the other. And I like to use a lot of water. So I wait for things to dry, and I can work in my studio. I can probably work four things at once, big paintings, four-by-five-footers, and I can work three or four of those at one time. So, And then I'll just get tired of it because some of them think, I can't go any further. I'm tired of this. So I'll put them away, and then a couple of years later, I'll just have them to pull them out and say, hey, I wonder why I stopped. You know, I, whatever, was, whatever stopped me before, I didn't see it. So I'll just finish it off. I think that's the great thing about having multiple things going at once. It's like you can get into, you can run into dead ends and they don't derail your whole day. You <laughs> yeah, know, you go, oh, yeah. I'll just switch gears. I'll just work on something else, you know? Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. what I like. Because yeah. <laughs> if I... And you don't feel like a loser or something. You know, you're no, like, you're not no. like, oh, I can't finish this. You're just like, oh, I'll put it away. Different, you and know? I got a ton of stuff yeah. like that. I got, a, I got a ton of, I got paintings I've done so long ago that I don't even know where I was headed. <laughs> you know, I yeah. was just starting them, just doing them. And my paintings, like these over here, I start out just by putting color down. I have no idea where I'm going. I just start putting paint down, and after a while, something pops up. And I like the landscapes because that's all I'm surrounded by out there in Duckwater, just the landscapes. And so I like that kind of stuff. And it's just, I do the landscapes for my own pleasure, my own my own it's fun They're beautiful i don't have to think too much i just it's just play mm-hmm. just pushing paint around and 
not really many problems. You know, you can always paint over stuff. Or I've had paintings where I just paint the whole thing one color after I've didn't like it. Yeah, paint over. Paint the whole thing black. <laughs> you know, because I got a bunch of black now. I got two <laughs> gallons of black. So now I got. I'm starting a, a stretcher bars for three by four footers. I got ten of them going. So now I have to buy canvas and I'll stretch those. But when I get those all finished, I have all that black paint. So after I gesso, I'm going to paint all of them as much as that black as I, because I don't want to waste the black. So I'm going to paint each one black, everything, until I'm done with that. And then I'll start putting color down. And so the thing about color black, out of the black? Oh, black is so cool. Yeah. Like printing <laughs> on black, painting on black. It's also, any color looks good on there. I mean, any color. I just, you know, even brown, the dirtiest brown you see or whatever, you know. It looks great on black. And, and when I silk screen on black, it, it just any color I mix looks good on there. So I don't really think about color. Yeah, I, I just add a lot of white to the color and then print on black. But black's expensive paper, so I don't use too much of it. I'm working on black stuff now. Um, but yeah, it's a different, so that's the kind of stuff I do. It's that's whatever great. I, I think that. about at the time. Sure, sure. I really don't have a plan sometimes in the morning. Sometimes I'll just get up and sit around and sit in the studio and look through Facebook and look through other artists that I know and just to waste time. Then finally I'll just, okay, let's do something. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm right with God, so let's do it. <laughs> you know, and so I just have, should I silk screen? Yeah, well, I feel like doing that. And so, or I paint. I got Everything's just right there for me. Before I had to put everything away, and, and but now everything's just right out front. Um, I don't have to look and, you know, it's just right there. I just kind of like pick up something and. Or my sketchbooks, you see all my sketchbooks. I used to carry them around a lot when I traveled. But now I don't travel as much, so I don't use the sketchbook as much. Because I just go directly to the sure. to my main work and stuff. So, so it's just, that's, my process is just really loose. I figure as long as I'm doing something. Yeah, it seems like there's plenty to work with. Like yeah, there is. I got plenty of paint. I got plenty of oil pastels, all these things. If I feel like going out and sitting around out somewhere, and I'll, I'll take oil pastels because I like those for outside. Instant gratification. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is. You just put color down and, wow, it's right there. You don't have to wait. <laughs> don't have to wait for nothing to dry. You don't have to mix nothing. It's just, wow, that looks good. <laughs> Especially on color paper, too. Anything on blue, red color paper. Oh, wow. Pastels just pop. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, it's fun stuff. Well, yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Jack. All right. Well, thanks for having me over here talking it up. <laughs> I never talked about myself so much in the last couple of months. <laughs> kind of. It's your time. We're in the museum. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I in Duckwater for. If I don't go anywhere, if I stay home, I only see three people. That's all I see. Weeks and weeks. Three people. 
my mother-in-law, my wife, and my daughter. And that's the way it's been the last three months. So when I come to Reno, it's, and then seeing, you know, like you guys right here, there's more people here than I've seen all week, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and that's only if I want to go see them. And so it's just a, it's just a different thing. I mean, having to talk about yourself. And then I did it in Philadelphia. I had to talk about myself. So I've never talked about myself so much before. <laughs> And then I realized, geez, I've done a lot. I've been here. Yeah, how is it reflecting back? Like, you know, you've, we've got this great it, big it gallery full of, full of 50 know? years of your work. Like, what, you know? <laughs> it keeps me awake because then I realize all the things I've missed because I've traveled, all these things I've done with other groups and people, worked with people who have died from cancer. I've worked with people who are. You know, all this history I've, I've learned and been with a lot of people and, and just thinking about my life like that, it's kind of like, because I've always lived my life like in the now, you know, I was always kind of like moving forward, doing this, doing drawings. I was never really thinking about the future or my past. It was always doing what I was doing right now. And so when I do this, when I saw this all together, it just was kind of like overwhelming sort of thing. Because a lot of it, I don't remember doing stuff. I don't remember some of these. And when I saw some, they started things coming back in my mind, what I was feeling, what I was, who I was dealing with, and family problems, you know, all these things I was going through because it was never really smooth sailing, you know. Never really smooth sailing. <laughs> and so when I see this, it's a whole stuff. But anyway, that's how I feel. <laughs> that was an interview with artist Jack Malott, whose work is currently on display at the Nevada Museum of Art. You can see his work until October 20th. Thank you to Sierra, Jake, and Austin for conducting the interview, and a big shout-out to the Holland Project and the Nevada Museum of Art for making this conversation possible. And the music behind me from the intro and here to the outro is from the Peanuts Gang. It's their new single, Hot date. Hope you enjoy and hope you have an opportunity to check out Jack Mallott's work. Thanks for tuning in.